All right, well, take your Bible. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter number 19, at least for this Sunday. One more, one more in our series in the book of Matthew, Matthew and chapter number 19. And then we'll do some preaching on the uh, coming of Christ uh, in the coming weeks uh, next Sunday. And then, of course, uh, Sunday uh, following that is uh, Christmas morning. And so uh, we'll certainly be focused on it then. And so, uh, but this morning we're in Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew 19. Matthew's really trying to get across to the people of his, his day and God's preserved it for us that we might acknowledge that Jesus is king. And so as he presents him, even in Matthew 1 and 2, in fact, we were studying that two years ago about this time of the year. We just uh, worked out to where we started that series right around this time of the year. And um, seeing that the birth of the king and the, uh, the presentation of the king and the, those that came even from the east um, a few months later, a year, couple years maybe even later. So the wise men were not at the manger scene. That was just messed up a lot of manger scenes, but they weren't there. So take them and put them in the east part of the house and just be biblical about it, okay? And then let them make their way. Anyways. But here we are in uh, Matthew 19. Let's look at verse, let's begin in verse number 13. Catch a little bit of the context. Didn't really preach on these verses. Going to hit it even tonight just in terms of the subject of it about loving children God's way. Look at the love of Jesus for children. But there's a reason why I want to read these verses as well as we get into it. Matthew 19 verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. They were not into children's ministries. Uh, Verse 14, but Jesus said, suffer or allow little children and forbid them not. Let them come. Let them come. Forbid them not, he says, to come unto me. Notice this, please. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Humility that they have, uh, that they understand you just receive a gift. In fact, Mark and Luke, who also shared this parallel, this passage, and the one that we're about to read, Jesus said that except you become as a little child and receive the kingdom of heaven, then you won't receive it. Now, I, I didn't quote that exactly right. You could read it later on in Mark 10 and Luke 18, but he emphasizes receiving, receiving. All right, now let's go to verse number 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing? shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, how many of you right now say, you know, I think he asked the wrong question. And he really did. He said, what what may I do? What shall I do to have eternal life as though it were something that might be achieved? Verse 17, and he, Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. Well, that's important for us to know that, isn't it? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. I can just see Peter looking over at him. You know what I mean? I mean, did you just hear what he said? If you're going to have eternal life, keep the commandments. 
I, I bet Peter was ready to talk right then and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What did you just say? I'm, I'm totally speculating. I guess I'm thinking what I was thinking as I was studying this. If, you, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, which? Give me a list. Which? Jesus said. He begins with uh, the Ten Commandments. He begins with commandment number six. Thou shalt do no murder. Seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight. Thou shalt not steal. Or seven. Wait a minute. Did I number these wrong? No murder. <laughs> Anyways, let's just keep reading. I'm off just a little bit. My brain's not working with my mouth. Okay. Anybody else ever had that happen to you? Yeah, this is number eight. Why am I second guessing myself? That's it. Yeah, you, you all know. Thou shalt not steal. Nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's it. I had it right. Come on, preacher. All right. <laughs> all right. Then here's what I was anticipating. Verse 19, he goes back to number five. He did them out of order. Honor thy father and thy mother. And then he goes to Leviticus outside of the Ten Commandments. And he said unto him in, in verse 19, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man, verse 20, saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. How many of you say, I think he's a little bit disillusioned. You would be right. Never told a lie. You lied right then. <laughs> then he asks us, what lack I yet? What lack I yet? What, what, do I, what deficiency do I need to make up for in this here? Jesus said, if you're still following along, verse 21. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, if you'll be whole, if you'll be complete, if you're going to finish this thing out, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. He's working off of commandment number 10. Thou shalt not covet. Give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel, the largest animal that they knew, to go through the eye of a needle, the smallest opening that they knew. It's easier... For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Verse 26, But Jesus beheld them. It's very intense, by the way. He set his gaze on them. He beheld them, it says, and said unto them, 
With men, this is impossible. What's impossible? Being saved. With men, you need to know this this morning. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So this morning, here's the title of the message in our series, Jesus is King. A gift can only be received or rejected. A gift can only be received or rejected. What is keeping you from following Christ? Is it worth it? Will it be worth it in 2,000 years? What is keeping you from following Christ? Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. I appreciate you standing. You may be seated. I read a Denver Post article in preparation for this uh, message. And uh, the title was this, The Most Expensive Business Mistake is missing an opportunity. The most expensive business mistake. Now, we've got some businessmen in here, leaders. The most expensive business mistake is missing, missing an opportunity. It goes on to give a few examples. Uh, History records some enormous opportunities. For example, a British government committee rejected Thomas Edison's invention of the light bulb, saying, it is okay for our transatlantic friends, but unworthy of the potential of practical and scientific men. And thus, they missed the opportunity of a lifetime. In 1876, Alexander Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. He wanted to commercialize it by putting it in every American home. He offered the patent to Western Union for $100,000. That's a lot of money. Well, that's a lot of money. Now, definitely a lot of money. Then, Western Union's response was, why would anyone want to use this ungainly, impractical device when he can send a message, a messenger to the telegraph office and have a clear written message to send to any city in America? They missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Kodak, Kodak remember Kodak? Not the bear. Kodak, the camera. Kodak uh, was the largest film industry in the United States. Then came the digital age. I didn't realize this, but Kodak's own engineer, his name was Stephen Sasson, invented the digital camera. He presented it to his own company, uh, thinking that they would be thrilled, but instead they thought that this new invention of digital camera would be a threat to their core business, namely film. So they rejected it, suppressed his technology, and now they nearly have gone out of business. 1970s. A man named Steve Wozniak worked for Hewitt Packard, HP. He tried to convince his employer to embrace a new home computer that he was building. HP rejected the idea and said people would never use computers at home. 
was, as often he's known, left HP and joined with his friend, a man named Steve Jobs. And in their garage built Apple One. And thus, most of you today are not carrying an HP phone, but an Apple. Ross Perot, remember Ross Perot? Ross Perot, founder of Electronic Data Systems. In 19, I did not know this. In 1979, Perot met Bill Gates, the founder of a small company called Microsoft. Gates offered Perot a majority interest in his company for $60 million. Perot thought it was too much, passed on the deal, and missed one of the greatest financial opportunities of his life. These were businessmen. These were businessmen. These were business individuals that understood that, uh, listen, there's going to be some upfront cost here. It's going to cost you something, but it's going to be well worth it in the end. The young man of Matthew chapter number 19, through some form, through some means, became a very rich individual. He had the opportunity of a lifetime. But listen to this this morning. He had the opportunity not only of a lifetime, but he had the opportunity of an eternity. And he walked away from it. He walked away from it. Some here are missing the opportunity of a lifetime. Maybe somebody here today that, that God's God in the midst of this message. By the way, I hope you look at this message this morning, not as a sermon, but as a message from God, from his word to you. I don't want to preach sermons. I want to try to deliver messages that are from God's word to you today. Because, listen, there's so much on the line. And today, if you are not saved, if you're not born again, then you'll never go to heaven. And, and you don't know, friend, would you please consider this? You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know that you're going to live to see tomorrow. And I hope sincerely that you live to see many days. But the fact is, is that all of our lives are short. And, and it could be that today is your one opportunity to trust the Savior and to have your sins forgiven, and to have it settled that you have a, a home in heaven that you know what's going to happen to you when you die. You say, can, does the Bible say that you can know for sure? Oh, most assuredly so, friend. We can know these things have been written that we might know, that we might know that we have eternal life. But some of you are saved, but in, but in many ways, in, even though you are eternally saved, you are missing an opportunity to walk with God because something is keeping you from really serving the Lord Jesus Christ. One came. Boy, what, what a, what a um, lead into that. And one came. It, hey, listen, by the way, if it's just one, he cared about them. One came. One came. You're here today and you're one. And it may be that uh, you don't think this is very important. I just, as I mentioned, I went up to third floor and there's a, a young lady that I got acquainted there and, and uh, she's not in the auditorium now that I know of, but uh, she, uh, I introduced myself and, and um, uh, I think it was just maybe her second time here. And, and I, I said, well, are you enjoying being in church? She said, it's boring. I went to sleep in the auditorium. I took that as an offense. I took it as a challenge. My first goal in preaching is keep everybody awake. 
She didn't realize how much of this that she really needed. My, you know, I, I really didn't get offended by it because I remember what it was like as a, as a teenager trying to just get through the next service. Not really, not really realizing just how important that these things are. This man came to Jesus. He, he came and, and look, listen to this. It seemed like he had everything together. I mean, he had everything that a lot of people aspire to have. Riches, he got it. He had it. Position, he had it. Uh, religion, he had it. I mean, he was a Jew, probably. He was a ruler of a synagogue. And, and so he, he had position. And yet something in his soul just wasn't right. And today it may be that you've got money. It may be that you don't. It, it doesn't really matter. Things eternal really matter. And, and so it may be that you have money. It may be that you have a nice home, that you drive a nice car, that you got a nice place to work. But deep in your soul, you know, I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Even those that have, have went to the pinnacle of the sports world or the pinnacle of, of Hollywood, deep down in their soul you can tell there's something missing. Actually, it's not something that is missing, but rather it is this someone. And this man came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, uh, he said unto him, let's look back at our text. He said, good master. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. When Jesus says in verse number 17, he says, good master, what, what good thing shall I do? What good thing shall I do? Maybe you're wondering today. Okay, okay, I understand I'm going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. How can I go to heaven? What do I got to do? What do I need to do? What good thing, he said, do I, what shall I do? What can I do to have eternal life? He had the typical mentality of, of those of his day and time. Uh, Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter number 10, that, that the Jews, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have gone about to establish their own and have not submitted themselves to the righteousness, righteousness which is of God. He thought he was doing pretty well, but he knew deep down something wasn't right. And I need, there, there must be something else that I can do. I mean, really, when you, when you read it, when you listen to it, and he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? There's, there's great self-confidence there. There's the idea that there's something that I can do to make things right between God and I. Now, those of us that are saved understand that it is not by works that we are saved. We're not saved by works, never could be saved by works, neither by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, did you hear that? According to his mercy, he saved us, it's, it, that, that we are saved by grace through faith and not that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. I, uh, I enjoy running, uh, have it run as much as I like to, want to, should. Um, here with this, you know, colder weather sometimes, it doesn't bother me too much to run in, in some of the cold, but you know, the rain and such. So every now and then, I, I don't prefer it, but I may, uh, I may run on the treadmill. I really don't prefer it. I like going somewhere, right? I like going somewhere. But on, on this particular app and, and um, uh, logging miles, uh, I've got a certain amount that I try to hit, you know, in the particular month. And, but here's, here's the bomb deal about it. You don't get miles for treadmill miles. You can enter it in, but it will not count towards your goal. It does not count. Why is that? I ran them just like if I was outside. 
But I, I can understand because, I mean, anybody could say, I ran five. And they didn't really run five. But the GPS doesn't pick up the treadmill. Whereas my GPS uh, feature of the app is going to pick up the miles that I run. So anybody could say I ran 10. Now, they hadn't figured out that I can get in my car and just kind of. <laughs> no, I don't do that. I don't. <laughs> but here, here's the point of the illustration. It doesn't matter if I ran a marathon. On, uh, what, that would be torture. Like torture running a marathon on the, on the treadmill. But it does not matter if I ran you know, a, a marathon on the treadmill. It doesn't matter how many miles I run. Watch this. They don't count. And today, listen, if you're not saved, it does not matter how many good works you do. It does not matter how much you give. It does not matter how many times you've been baptized. It does not matter how many church certificates you have. It does not matter how many verses that you memorize. If you're not saved, none of it, none of it counts. You're going nowhere except in eternity without God. Good master, what, what good work shall I do? What may I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him this question, why callest thou me good? Now, this is not Jesus denying that he was good. This is Jesus causing this man to stop and think about what he was saying. Why do you call me good? And I love what Jesus said. There's none good but one. There's none good but one. I'm saying to you this morning, echoing the words of Jesus to you, there's none good but one, and that's God. Now, if Jesus, watch this, if Jesus was entirely and absolutely good, then he's God, and that he was, never sinned. Never sinned one time, never had one wrong thought, never said one wrong word, never did one wrong deed. He was entirely, totally good, and thus he is God. But here he's causing this young man to stop and think about what he's saying. Why callest thou me good? Well, he was accurate in his description about Jesus, but this man needed to understand who Jesus was. And today, please listen to me. You need to understand that Jesus is God He's come in the flesh. God came to, to seek and save that which is lost. But you need to understand that there is none good, no, not one, the Bible says. Little baby may coo and say, I'm good. You ever hear a little baby do that? I'm good. No, you're not. <laughs> okay, now we may not say it that way to him or her. But the truth is, is none of us are good. There's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus says, why callest thou me good? In verse number 17, there's none good but one that is God. But, but if thou, watch what he says, but if thou will enter into life. If you want to have eternal life, here's what you need to do. Keep the commandments. All right, now watch this. What, what is Jesus saying? I, 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 I'm sure the other disciples, as I already mentioned, were astounded at this because they understood Jesus to mean that the only way you can be saved is by God's good grace. It's not by works that you've done. But here Jesus seems to be countering what his whole life said and saying, okay, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. It's almost as though he's saying, go ahead, keep them. Keep the commandments. Because, watch this, if it were possible that you could keep the commandments, then you could go to heaven. If it were possible that you could keep the commandments, or actually let's say it this way, if you have kept 
all the commandments and you are a candidate for heaven. But if you broke one. Hey, wait a minute. Don't we get a mulligan? No, you don't get a mulligan. You don't get a do over. You know, you play mini golf as a family. You got to agree on it, but you get one mulligan. Maybe, maybe you don't play that way, but we do. Right. Okay. Get one do over, right? Because that one went really bad. Uh, in life, you don't get a do-over. What you did is what you've done, and it counts against you. He started with commandment number six. And he says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. Thou, number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said that if you look upon someone with lust, then you've committed adultery with them already in your heart. You say, man, I'm already in trouble right here just out of, out of the two. I mean, Jesus even talked about not just killing the actual act of murder, but even if you had hatred in your heart then it's like you're killing them in your heart. You say, man, I've got problems. It's good that you're recognizing that. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt, thou shalt not commit adultery. He goes on in, in verse number 18. Thou shalt not steal. If you just stole one thing, even if it was just a pack of gum from the convenience store, you stole. And God takes note of that. And, and you stole. Thou shalt not bear false witness. If you just tell one lie. Heard about the man that was there in the court of law and he'd been in an accident and the, and the judge said, now how, how, how high can you raise your hand? He said, like that right there. He said, now how high could you raise your hand before the accident? He said, like that. <laughs> he didn't think that went all the way through, did he? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. Everyone in here, if we're honest, would say, I've told a lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt, uh, he says in verse 19, honor thy father and thy mother. So he, he does them out of order. And in the mind of this young man, he's thinking, check, 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 check. Now he's off. He's not thinking clearly. He's not thinking straight. But then he gets to honor thy father and mother. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I, I think here's what's happening. I think Jesus, obviously, he knows this young man. He knows where he's coming from. He knows what he's thinking. And he knows that in his mind, watch this, he has an external form of righteousness. But you must have more to be able to go to heaven than an external form of righteousness. You must have an internal form of righteousness. And, this, and Jesus knew where this young man was coming from. And so I think he purposefully started with those that he maybe knew that this young man would kind of check off in his mind thinking, well, I'm okay. I've treated everybody I know. All right, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I, I've, well, he kind of, I think he just really lied on some of them. But he said, I haven't told a lie. I haven't, haven't stolen anything. These things I've done, I've, I've been good, I'm good. But then Jesus said, honor thy father and thy mother. Now he jumped back to number five, I think purposefully for this reason. He, Jesus probably knew he had some strained relationship with his parents. I can't say that for sure, but, but what ma, man or woman among us has not had some issues where you have honor, dishonored your parents? Everybody in here has had some butting of the heads with your parents. I mean, it's inevitable because your parents are sinners. And so are you. So Jesus said, honor your, parent, honor your, your, your father and your mother. And, and, and then he said this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, Jesus is getting right down. He's getting right down to the heart of this. And he knows this man. He knows good and well that this man does not love his neighbor like he loves himself. Although he may smugly think, oh, yeah, I love people. 
In fact, he said it this way. Everybody still with me right here? All these things I've kept from my youth up. Since childhood I've done these things. What lack I yet? Now, I don't even know that I have to go through the rest of the sermon here this morning. If you're, if you're not saved, you'd say, preacher, listen, you don't have to say any more of the Ten Commandments because I'm already out on the first ones that you've mentioned. But here Jesus goes on and he says this, that if thou wilt be perfect. The idea is this. If you're going to have a wholehearted service to God, perfect, the word it means complete, it means whole. Watch this. Jesus knew that this man had a divided heart. He knew that he had a divided heart. He knew that he loved himself. He knew that he loved money. So he says in verse number 21, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor. You say you love your neighbor as yourself. Give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. If you'll be perfect. The Lord knew this man loved loved himself more than he loved people. The Lord knew he loved money more than he loved God. It's really sad. Here he's standing here. Please take this in. He's standing before his very creator. He's standing before the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. (laughs) He's standing before the one that has all the riches of heaven. But he's thinking in his mind, I've got too much to let go of. Maybe he's thinking in his mind, there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. I don't think I have to give up my possessions to be right with God. Which, by the way, if, you, if you're wondering, okay, so are you saying, preacher, that to be saved, I got to give all my money today? That's not even what Jesus was saying. Jesus was getting right to the very heart of this to show him he's not as good as he thought he was. And he was showing him that actually he was very covetous and he was very much in bondage to his possessions. In fact, uh, one man said it this way, it's all too easy for most of us to be so wrapped up in what we own that we find it difficult to think about doing without it. Jesus is showing this man the unimportance of worldly affluence in the kingdom of heaven. The unimportance of worldly affluence, this man thought, I've got too much to let go of. And thus he walked away from God that day. Listen, you don't walk away from God happy. You walk away from God with great sorrow. He walked away from God. He did not want to give up his control. He met, oh, listen to this. He met with the king of kings, but he as a ruler among men did not want to relinquish relinquish his own position of control. He did not want to forsake his way for Jesus' way. Money was in the way of him having a real relationship with God. I wonder what's in the way of you having a real relationship with God this morning. What's standing in the way? What what is it this morning? Would you please personalize this here before we move on any further? What is it, dear friend? What is it, sir, that is keeping you from really serving God? 
What is it, uh, dear lady, that's, that's keeping you from, from really serving the Lord, really following Him, really giving Him your all? I, I realize we need to talk about salvation, and I certainly intend to get to that. But, but listen, let me talk to, to you even as a church family right here, because listen, we are not exempt from this passage here this morning, because you can sit in these pews, and you can go through all the motions, and yet not really be a disciple. Because your money matters more to you than God does. And your, and your comfort matters more to you than God does. And you're holding on to something that you don't want to let go. Because you know what it would really mean if you really got serious about serving God. Am I talking to people here this morning that I'm, I'm talking to myself as well? I mean, all these things are, are very true for every one of us that we have things that we want to hold on to because we know that if we let go of that, that means really costing us something. But would you please think about the transaction that needs to take place, that I need to let go of whatever it is that is holding me back from serving God because who he is of a, is of infinite greater value than anything I am and anything that I have. This man walked away from Jesus because he didn't want to give up his own way. When you boil it down, that's what it is. He didn't want to follow Jesus because he didn't want to give up his own way. Jesus then said to his disciples in verse number 23, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This was astounding to them. Well, you can see they were exceedingly amazed that in verse number 25, and they, they said, who then can be saved? Because in their mind, here's what they thought. In their minds, they equated this. If a person has great wealth, then they've got God's favor. That's what they thought. So a rich person must, must have God's favor because look at all the blessings on them. They saw it as a sign of God's favor. Jesus, listen, saw it, wealth, saw it as a great obstacle. By the way, when Jesus was here on earth, he didn't live for wealth. He didn't live for wearing the latest designer robes the latest designer sandals. Huh, are you following me? He didn't live for wealth. He lived for his father's mission. He lived for people. He came to seek and save that which was lost. So, dear uh, fellow members of Southwest Baptist Church, if we then are to be his disciples, can we make wealth our goal and our aim? Could it be that, that it is our position or your wealth or, your, or, or what you have that is keeping you from really serving God? I'm saying to you this morning, you'll miss God's blessings if you try to make life work your own way. What keeps you from following Christ? What keeps you, please think about this here this morning, what keeps you from following Christ? What keeps you, and, and some, you may be hanging on to some bitterness. Will it be worth it in a hundred years? I'd serve God, but 
Somebody down there at that church hurt me. I'd serve God. I'd serve God, but, but my family's disappointed me. My spouse, and, and you could go down the list of whoever it is that's hurt you. And I'm not minimizing the hurt, but wait a minute. Is it really worth it in 100 years? How about in 2,000 years? What's really going to matter, friend? What's keeping you? What's keeping you from serving Christ? What's keeping you from following Christ? Could be your plans. Could be your plans. I, and if I, if I give up what I, if I give up what I want to do, I'll miss out on so much. <laughs> Wait a minute. I wonder if Ross Perot would like to go back and talk to Bill Gates again. Huh? I wonder if HP would like to revisit with Steve Wozniak. I wonder if they'd like to renegotiate here. I wonder, I wonder, if, I wonder if he at, at times or if they at times wouldn't go back and say, you know, if we could only do it differently, now that I understand, mm, hang on, now if I, if I could see back then how it is now, I would invest in this because it's going to be worth this much. If there were a way that we could peel back what eternity is going to look like, the house that you're so consumed with, the money that you're so eat up with, the hours that you're working to the neglect of serving God, maybe you look at all eternity and say, you know what, my, dink, my dinky little stuff here doesn't even matter in light of all of eternity. That's what we need to look at is ask yourself this morning this. Does this world mean so much to you that that means nothing? We're just so short-sighted. We don't see. We think of, of, of prominence in this world and, and all that comes with it. We think of this world so much that it's eat us up. We don't understand. We don't even see. And in many ways, you know, I, I mean, you, you think about some business deals and business transactions. And at the moment, you know, uh, you think, I don't think that's going to make it. I don't think a lot. Well, there's a lot of products that don't. Come on, let's just be honest about it. There's a lot of things, a lot of offers, a lot of, lot of opportunities that just really are bogus and they don't wash, wash out right and they don't materialize. They don't bring in dividends. I've had some ideas along the way that nobody should patent. <laughs> this morning, we're hearing the ones, the words of one who knows the beginning from the end. We're talking about Alpha and Omega. We're talking about the eternal Son of God who knows what eternity is. He knows what heaven is like. He knows, he knows what has the greatest value. And he is speaking to you today. If you're all saying, listen, you need to trust. It's not what you can do. You trust what he did. You trust what Jesus did for salvation because salvation is a gift of God that cannot be achieved. It can only be received. Or it can be rejected. You've got to really weigh this out. But when you weigh it out, would you think, not just about today, tomorrow, this week, this month, 
this year. Think about 100 years from now. You say, man, I have a hard time thinking about tomorrow. Think about 100 years from now. Think about 1,000 years from now. Think about 10,000 years from now. Think about 10 million years from now. How far, how long you want to keep going here? Just think about what eternity really means. And then come back to this, what seems to be giving you all kinds of trouble and keeping you from serving God and see what would be the best deal. I don't mean to trivialize or minimize what Jesus is offering, but Jesus is offering this man much more than he had. And the Lord of glory is offering you this morning much more than what you have and much more than what you could ever come up with in your own mind. And you can cling to your hurt, but you'll forfeit his healing. You can pursue your dreams, but you'll live without the reality of his favor. Don't walk away from the one who loves you the most. Forsake this morning whatever it is that's holding you back from being his disciple. Let's stand together here this morning. This passage echoes in our time that you cannot receive what God wants to give you if you insist on life your way. You'll miss God's blessings. What an opportunity. But sadly, what an opportunity forfeited. Every, every service, we are confronted with the realities of eternal things, living in a temporal world. And you've got to decide. You're at a crossroads right here. Will I go my own way? Or will I forsake my way and all that it pertains, all that pertains to it, to follow him? Now, this morning, there may be someone here that's, that's not saved. I want to exhort you, first of all, as we have a verse of invitation, that you'd make your way to the clearest, closest aisle and let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can receive the gift of eternal life. But I know this morning that I'm preaching predominantly to those that are believers. But being a believer and being a disciple can be two different things. Something may be holding you back from God's greatest blessings. Father, help us this morning. You see the hearts of all all of us. And Lord, you know what in our minds we tend to hold on to. And I pray today that God, you would make clear the opportunity, Lord, that is before us to live for you. Regardless of what the world around us thinks, regardless of what we think, God, would you help us to listen to our Savior as he says, come and follow Lord, I found it so sad that this man was so close and yet walked away. And God, there are some here today that know the truth of these things but could walk away from it. I pray that you'd help us to have the good sense not to walk away from you but to, but to draw nigh unto you, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We're singing here today. 
Appropriately, page uh, 262, almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. If God's working in your heart, please come on this very first verse. Don't put it off till the next verse. You've got the opportunity. It's right there before you. Would you come on this first verse as we sing? Go ahead, Brother.